At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. I don't think I'll ever forget, I hope I don't ever forget this experience from 10 years ago. Allie, my new wife of just six months, was seated across from me at our dining room table. And one week before, we had just received a diagnosis of lymphoma, cancer, in a very healthy 30-year-old woman. And her doctor wanted to get started on the chemo as soon as we could. But there was one decision holding that up and like a million different questions related to that decision. Because the particular cocktail of drugs that they were going to give her could very likely impact her ability to have kids, naturally. And so the doctor said, do you want to meet with a fertility specialist before we get started with treatment? Which, wow, that opens up a whole other set of questions. And I say this, when, I mean it when I say that some people, um, when I say bless their hearts, these people wait years to ever get in the room to meet with a fertility specialist. They have to jump through all these other hoops and time and, and technique. And, and then finally, they're granted a sit-down with a fertility specialist. And yet, because of Allie's diagnosis, we were moved to the front of the line, and we met with this doctor, and we got information, and then we asked all these questions related to it. Is it ethical? How does it work? How much does it cost? What's the likelihood, the probability, if this works? And, you know, pardon if you're hearing some emotion in my voice, but it just takes me back. It was really, really difficult because we had just started a very happy marriage six months into it. We were figuring out normal. This was not normal. We really wanted our love to blossom and to grow and, and for us to get stronger together as a couple, but this is, not, this is not at all what you have in mind when you pray that you would grow stronger together. And we really sought to um, come to terms with the, the weightiness of the journey that was before us, not put a good face on it, and, you know, it'll all work out. I know at times this was really ugly how we had to respond to this. And so I wonder for you, how, how would you respond with an onslaught of emotion, shock, grief, fear, uncertainty, frustration, and anger? And yet at the same time, this desire to be faithful to one another, to be faithful to God, to trust his plan. Well, I know for us in those very early days, we prayed like mad. We begged God for wisdom on what to do. In life crisis or not, that is the mark of people of faith. That's what it looks like to be a person of faith. 
is to engage God in prayer, asking Him for His wisdom, and to be marked by growth in becoming more like Jesus along the way. And since the new year began, we've been challenged with the opportunity to really become people of prayer. It began uh, with Pastor Jacob's New Year's message, January 2nd, on becoming people of prayer. And we have just now concluded a week of intentional fasting and praying as a church here at the beginning of January, where we had opportunities for you to participate individually. We had some online gatherings. We had a prayer experience, walking through the Lord's Prayer, set up in our gym this week. Some of us participated on Friday night and and were able to take in the worship and prayer gathering at one of our other campuses across all of Woodside. And so you've been invited into one of the most important aspects of our faith, our relationship with God, and that is prayer. And what a time to lean into prayer when you consider everything that we've walked through individually and collectively over the last two years You recognize, boy, we need prayer more than we'd like to admit. Now, I have a participatory exercise for us to engage in this morning. Up on the screen, they're going to put up a blank line chart. Now, in case you don't spend all day looking at these in your normal course of life, let me just explain so we're all on level footing. Hang with me here. So the the lower axis for the data wonks in in the room, the nerds, axis, that lower horizontal line, that's time. 2020, 2021, 2022. The vertical axis is experience from low to high, from bad to good. And get a good look at it. And now I want to ask you to close your eyes. Nothing weird's going to happen. Just close your eyes because I want you to mentally, to mentally plot out what the lines of your life would look like physically over the last two years, mentally, emotionally, relationally. What would these lines look like if you plot them out? Lots of peaks and a few valleys, lots of valleys and a few peaks. Would your lines look pretty consistently low on the experience axis as time goes on? I, I doubt many of us would be up at the top where we're flying high over the last two years. Maybe it's a hot mess all over the place. One more favor to ask of you before we finish this. Now I want you to overlay on top of those other lines in your mind's eye, your life of faith, your spiritual life over the last two years. And I wonder how would would it look compared to the others? Healthier? Worse? You can open up your eyes now. And I know it's an unusual illustration. Most of us don't plot out our lives in Excel. But it's helpful for us. It was helpful for me this week to to stop and to reflect, to gain some perspective as you think about the different parts that make you, you. And pardon me, I have to ask the question because I had asked myself this week. As you plotted out those lines, as you thought about that, Were you accurate and honest based on reality? Because you see, we for sure like to 
project a good image to people around us, but oftentimes we, we don't really tell the truth to ourselves inside. We deceive ourselves. We like to believe things a little bit rosier picture for us internally than they oftentimes are. That's why we're not good counselors, self-counselors, that is. We, we don't see objectively. We're jaded. We, we can't see clearly. And so we're in a study. This, this example leads us into a study of the book of James that we're in, chapters 1 and 2. And I invite you to make your way in your Bible, whether in front of you or the one you brought or your Bible app if you're at home. Turn to, to chapter 1 of James because I think it's important for us to see God's Word for ourselves And James, if you were to to do a quick overview of it, you're going to see a number of things come up. One of them is self-deception, this warning against self-deception that occurs all throughout the book. And while we're only going to look at James chapters 1 and 2 in this series, if you were to read, he's going to continually instruct them on the right way to see things and not to be self-deceived. He says this about a number of things, trials and difficulty. Don't be deceived about trials. See what they really are. Don't be deceived about God and who He is. Don't be deceived about faith and what it means to be a Christian and have active faith. Don't be deceived about your words, your tongue, the use of it to bless people or to curse people or the way you think about time and planning for the future. Don't be deceived about that or even money. What is money? What is it used for? How do we use it? Don't be deceived about that, James will say. Now, you and I don't need to be reminded of difficulty that we have walked through over the last two years. That comes naturally to our mind, right? But we do need to be reminded through God's Word and His Spirit this morning to look for God's truth and reality for us, not just our own experience or what, what we want to tell ourselves. We, we need God's help this morning. That's what I've been praying in anticipation of this morning. A refresher from last week. James is calling these Christians in the early church to spiritual maturity. The whole point of this is spiritual maturity. And he talks about this as being mature and complete, this idea of wholeness, of faith. And specifically last week, we learned that mature faith survives seasons of suffering. But this morning, we're going to continue in that vein and engage another key concept, and that is that mature faith seeks God's wisdom, that it seeks His wisdom. And when it comes to the direction of our life and how we navigate difficult and confusing circumstances to endure suffering, mature faith seeks the wisdom of an all-knowing God. And what does James want these believers to know about how to access God's wisdom. What does he say? Well, he begins in verse 5 by pointing out that God's wisdom is received upon request. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So James instructs believers to simply ask, to ask God for wisdom. You're not going to get it automatically. It will come as you ask. And I wonder, why not? Why doesn't God just make it easier for us? Why can't he just give us the wisdom so that we don't have to figure it out and ask him? Well, we're forgetting a very important nature 
of God and how to relate to him. And that is relationship. Asking God, praying, involves being in relationship with God, right? Listen to the words of theologian John Frame. I came across it this week. I love this. Prayer is a means of fellowship with our heavenly father. Jesus teaches that prayer is like a child going to his earthly father. The child wants something and the father is eager to give, but the father does not give until the child asks. Anyone who is a father or mother understand the difference here. We want to give good things to our children, but even more, we want a good relationship with them. Our heavenly father wants the same. He does not want to be like a machine that dispenses goods, but he wants to really be our father, a real person. It's the whole nature of prayer, is relationship. And I wonder, do you see God as a genie in a bottle to produce your wants and needs? He's just this cosmic dispenser of whatever I want or need. Or do you see him as a benevolent, loving father? Because James tells us about God's posture toward people who ask for wisdom. He's generous. He gives. It's a delight to him. There's not punishment or strings attached when we keep asking for more wisdom as if we didn't get it the first time. No, we just, we need more and he's he's happy to give it to us. He will give it to us. Don't be deceived about who God is. He is gracious. He is aware that you need wisdom. He's generous. He's all-powerful, which is just a mind-bending thought that the one that we've sung about already this morning who, who created all that there is and is so vast and so huge and like unlimited and unstoppable and all these things would, would actually be so personal. Like That's a crazy thought that he would be so personal and delight when we ask for his help. Anybody who has been a parent knows that kids are the best question askers, right? They're a, it's ongoing in my house at least. They will always make the request known to you. Dad, how does this work? When do we get there? Can I have this? When do we get this? How does this work? I mean, can I have, I mean, it's just ongoing. But children are great models for prayer because they're great question askers. And they have this natural sense that they don't have all the answers and that they need help. And so they say, all right, well, I I need something that I don't have. And so I'm going to just ask because I got this grown up that I have learned to trust. And I'm just going to ask them. And what a cool picture for us. What What an amazing recognition that when we seek God's wisdom by asking for wisdom, We experience the humility of being like a child and God gets to delight in his role as a daddy to give it and generously. Because remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It takes that humble dependency. Ask your heavenly father if you're facing perplexing circumstances, like a, something that you can't figure out, just difficulty. You need wisdom beyond yourself, right? You're going to hit a brick wall at some point. You can't figure everything out. And so ask God 
And I wonder, has it been your habit to acknowledge God, His greatness, and who He is, and ask Him for wisdom? Have you spent more time worrying and wondering and trying to figure all this out and talking about it than you have been praying about it? Have you shared your need for wisdom with one of our pastors, with your life group, with a trusted godly mentor and and other Christian friends so that we can enter in and we can ask God on your behalf to give you wisdom? Is that your practice? On Wednesday of this week, I talked about the um, prayer gathering or the prayer experience, the Lord's Prayer experience being set up in the gym. And I was here in the office that day and I happened to be walking through and one of my friends during his lunch hour came and he was in there. And so we talked briefly and he said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm facing uh, a career move, a, a job opportunity, and I'm not sure. And he talked about the potential pros and the disadvantages potentially and like just going back and forth, he and his wife. And, and he said, would you pray for me? And I was like, yes, this is what I get paid to do. Like, this is the best. I love it when people ask me to pray for them. And so we stopped talking about it and we started praying And I asked God to give him wisdom because I knew we could just talk until we were blue in the face about the pros and the cons of it. But I knew it was time for us to just talk to the one who knows far more about it. He sees the future. We don't. He's got a very different timetable when it comes to, I got to make this decision now. Well, let's just talk to the one who gives wisdom when we ask. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He's going to give generously. Joyfully, he will give it to his children and it will be given. And so God's wisdom is received upon request. But secondly, we see here in the text that God's wisdom is requested in faith. And we're going to pick up verse 6. James writes, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so James says here, it's not just any kind of asking that the Lord will honor. Rather, it's asking in faith. That is, it's, it's one of ultimately expressing dependence on God and who He is. Um, I want us to walk carefully through, because sometimes these verses can be tricky to understand, and I want us to understand what I think James is saying and so that we know how, how to rightly think about it and how to rightly apply. So we begin with a blanket statement that he's not making. He's not saying that God is going to give you whatever You ask if you have enough faith. It's not what he's saying here. Way too many health, wealth, prosperity messages out there that if you just muster up enough faith, then it'll happen. You'll just speak these blessings into existence. That's not what he's saying. Because remember, this was written to Christians who were suffering for their faith and it was affecting their faith. And so James told them, I want you to ask for wisdom so that you become spiritually mature. He was not saying ask for wisdom so that you can have a vacation to escape your problems or you can get a brand new Range Rover to make yourself feel better about yourself. That's not, it wasn't 
pray for blessings. It was pray for wisdom so that you may be spiritually mature. Secondly, we have to understand what James means here by doubt. And a good way to think about doubt is maybe to begin with the idea of uncertainty. Can we agree, logically speaking, that if you are uncertain about something, then there's an aspect of doubt in your mind, right? That's kind of how doubt works. But that's a, that's a good basic definition. But what James is actually getting here is not just the idea of we're uncertain about God. It actually gets deeper, more dangerous, into distrust of who God is. That's what he means here by doubt. And he said, James is not saying, you know, if, if you are uncertain, then God's not going to answer your prayers. Because I'll be honest, I pray all the time, and I'm uncertain if God will answer that specific prayer. But that's not what James is highlighting. He's saying that if you have a fundamental, deep-seated distrust in God, then your prayers will just fall flat. And he even refers to this type of doubting as uh, being a double-minded person when it comes to God. In other words, if you doubt God in the way that James is talking about, you're of two minds when it comes to God. Okay, so you're You have one mind where you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to pray to you and I'm going to expect that you're hearing and that that you're going to respond, but you're not fully entrusting yourself to God and his ways and his plan and his timing. And so you're also saying, "Uh, I'm going to rely a little bit on myself. I'm going to make some things happen. I'm going to look to the world for wisdom. I'm going to seek advice of other people that I respect whose life looks like it's going really well, and I want my life to look like that. That's a double-minded man. It's, it's doubting that God is capable, that God is able. It's not entirely entrusting yourself to him. And the poignant illustration that James uses is one of ocean waves. Now, this past August, last summer, oh, we can dream about the summer on a morning like this, right? Last summer, my little family met up with my wife's family on the eastern shore of Virginia, Chincoteague Island, Assateague Island. It's beautiful. And we had awesome weather, awesome beach conditions all week. It was so much fun until the last day. And the last day, thankfully it was the end of the week, a storm was brewing down the eastern seaboard. And while it wasn't affecting us, uh, it wasn't upon us yet, It's amazing how the ocean churned and roared and the winds came up and we had had such a fun time playing in the ocean. But that day we told the kiddos like, you can't go in the water. You can just play by the water's edge, but that we're not going to do what we did earlier this week. And I'm a big guy. I can like get a pretty good firm footing and I love to dive into the waves and I, I have a lot of fun. But on that day, it was disorienting. It was really difficult. When I did it that morning, it was exhausting to me because I just felt like I was being thrown about. I was no match for those waves on that particular day. Dr. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on this particular passage, writes this. This is the experience of the double-minded man. Faith says yes, but unbelief says no. Then doubt comes along and says yes one minute, no the next. It was doubt that made Peter sink in the waves as he was walking to Jesus. When Peter started his walk of faith, he kept his eyes on Christ. 
But when he was distracted by the wind and the waves, he ceased to walk by faith and began to sink. He was double-minded and he almost drowned. Many Christians live like corks on the wave up one minute, down the next, tossed back and forth. This kind of experience is evidence of immaturity. That's a good word. So what about you and your maturity when it comes to your trust and allegiance to God? Are you double-minded? Don't raise your hand this morning, but it's a legit question for reflection, for pondering. Yeah, like maybe I'll, maybe I'll wait on him for the wisdom that I need, but oh, he's taken way too long. I need an answer, so I'm going to make it happen. James says, if that's you, if you're praying without being single-minded, singularly locked and loaded, trusting God, then you're going to be like a wave tossed at sea. And he actually says you're going to be unstable in all your ways. Because you're not anchored by the single-minded trust and commitment to God and His plan, His ways. But when you're exclusively committed to Him, you're anchored in His truth, you're held firm and steady. You have good footing. And you know what? The Lord hears your prayers for wisdom and He promises that He will grant those prayers. And so what does it look like to receive wisdom from the wisdom-giving God? Well, it's available to us on request. It's requested in faith. And then lastly, God's wisdom results in action. It results in action. We're going to pick up verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we've jumped over a whole bunch of verses that we're going to continue to tease out in the future weeks of this series, but we jumped to verse 19 because it really shows us the outworking of wisdom in a Christian's life. What does it look like to be a person of wisdom? And it begins with how we receive it. Verse 21 talked about receiving with meekness the implanted word. I love the way the New International Version translates it. It says to humbly accept the word planted in you. So it's this idea of a seed, right? This seed that germinates and grows. And it reminds me about a parable that Jesus told, and I'm going to read some of these verses from Mark 4. Listen, the words of Jesus, the parable of the sower. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. 
And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So God's word is the seed. The seed that is planted in soil, a picture of the human heart. And there are types of soil, Jesus teaches us, that are conducive for good growing conditions. And then there are types of soil that are not conducive. And James uses the illustration of his half-brother Jesus to call true believers to humbly receive God's truth such that it produces a harvest, so that it grows and produces fruit. So if we want to see fruit, then we obey. That's the the model that James walks through. And he actually begins by talking about our obedience when, when we look at our speech, the tongue. He says, don't deceive yourself. Whatever is inside is going to come out. Jesus reminded the religious leaders of that, actually, Matthew 12 and Luke 6, that what is in the heart comes out in our speech. And so people who are wise, James says, who are righteous, will listen. They will be slow and measured in their response. They will carefully consider their speech and not respond hastily, unrighteously, angrily, because you can't take back words. We've all said stuff and we thought, if I could only take it back. One pastor quipped that we have two ears and one mouth, which ought to remind us to listen more than we speak. That's a word we need to hear every morning as we get up, right? If you're not quick to hear and slow with your words, slow to anger, then you won't act righteously. That's what James is saying. You're going to be an angry person, and angry people are not godly people. And he goes on with a seed illustration, and he says, our hearts are like gardens, and they have to be made ready. That's what we do in the springtime, is we make the garden ready for seed. And so he says, we have to till the soil of our souls. We have to prepare our souls. And it begins by giving the garden a really good weeding, which is why he encourages these believers, get rid of the moral filth. Get rid of the wickedness that's in your lives. Don't let the garden of your heart become overgrown with weeds, because if it is, you won't actually receive God's truth. You won't grow in it. It's bad soil to begin with. You won't be able to humbly receive his wisdom and to flourish. And so, for us, this requires ongoing confession and repentance and humility and meekness to receive and accept God's ways, not ours. But it doesn't stop there. James goes on and he's pretty specific that we don't just hear God's word and go on our way 
but we do it. It's not an agreement thing like, oh, yeah, I agree with what the Bible says. No, 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 no. It has to go further. It has to change us. We follow through obediently. God's word in the gospel calls us to salvation. It truly saves us. Amen? It saves us. But it's not just fire insurance to escape the flames of hell. No, no, no. It changes us. The big theological word is sanctification. It's the process of becoming sanctified. And so, if we are truly saved, then we are transformed. And transformed in the way that we act and think and live. Gospel calls us to salvation, but it also calls us to a new way of life. And James then warns against self-deception, again, that we don't just hear the word and go on our way. I think it's every bit applicable for 2022 as it was for whoever he was writing to 2,000 years ago because it's really, in our heart of hearts, it's really easy to be deceived and to say, I'm going to show up on Sunday and I'm going to sing along with words up on the screen and I'm going to open up my Bible. I'm going to listen to what they say. I agree with what he says. That's great. Or maybe in your personal time in the Word during the week, to open up the Bible, to have prayer time, and yet to not follow through and live differently. A person of true faith, a person of authentic, vibrant, growing faith is one who listens or receives God's truth and is changed by it. That is the mark of spiritual maturity that you can look back and say, it used to be this way, but now I've grown and James uses this great picture of a mirror, right? We, we know this illustration because we have mirrors that we look at. You probably know a time, maybe, maybe it was you, maybe it was somebody you were on a date with once, but you're at a restaurant. You excuse yourself. You go into the restroom, and as you're at the sink, you're washing your hands, and you look at yourself because we look at ourselves in mirrors, Right? And you see a secret piece of food lodged in your teeth. And I call it secret because it's secret to you only. Everybody else knows about it. And now that you've seen it, what are you doing? You just go out and enjoy your dinner? No, you get the piece of kale out there. Like, you don't want that stuck on your gums for the rest of the evening. You save yourself embarrassment based on the message that the the mirror gave you. You act differently because of what you saw in the mirror. And... James says that's exactly what happens with God's word. That's the call of the gospel. Verse 25 talked about the person who looks into the law of liberty and perseveres, not just a hearer, but a doer. He'll be blessed in his doing. When he follows through, he'll be blessed in Christ and by his spirit. God's law is not a burden to us, but it actually is freedom, great freedom. may not always feel like that, but it's great freedom to be released from the way we feel like we're supposed to live or that we have our own agenda. No, no, no. We're, we're free because we live God's design for our lives, and that brings great joy and fulfillment. And James says, we're not called to just hear it and agree with it. It's not God's call in the gospel. 
It's to change, to act on it. And he gets really crystal clear at the very end, those last couple of verses, on what it looks like. Examples of what faith in action looks like. You think you're a good Christian? Somebody asks you the question, are you a Christian? How do you answer that? Yeah, I believe. No, here's what he says. Here's the marks of a good Christian, evidenced by how we behave. So he, again, uses the tongue as an example. Our speech. It's evidenced in how we care for others. Particularly, he uses the example here of people who are in need and marginalized. So a mark is how we treat other people, how we see them and we respond to them particularly those who are needy. And then it's also evidenced by the pure godly values that order our lives, keeping one's, oneself unstained from the world. And so the world has one set of values. It defines success one way. It looks one way. It holds this up. But as Christians, we belong to God's kingdom, not this kingdom. And so we have values that are very, very different in how we live and order our lives. And this is what James is saying. Don't be deceived. If your lack of prayer, your lack of seeing God for who he is, your lack of being an active person of faith in terms of how you view people, how you treat people, how you behave, how you order your life, if that's not true of you, then you're lying to yourself. And he says, some pretty direct and pointed words by saying, your faith is worthless. And so I want us to go back, back to that line graph for one minute as we finish up. Because I want, I want to challenge you and your mind's eye to replot the last line of your spiritual life based on what James has pointed out about faith and what it means to be a person of faith and spiritual. Is it in reality what it was at the beginning of the service when you drew it? Because, you know, showing up for a service like this is good. And taking time during your week to open God's Word and to pray is good. There are many types of spiritual rhythms that we practice that are good and they're needed. But if these things don't result in life change, the seed can't get in the soil. It's not going to germinate, grow, flourish, produce fruit. We're not actually then living in God's wisdom. So is your line in actuality, your spiritual line? Is it growing? Is it stagnant? Is it declining toward immaturity? What does that look like for you? Because let me tell you, you may have some dips and valleys in your life. Maybe the more important question is today, starting today, what does the trajectory of that line look like? We will all have ups and downs, right? It's the nature of being human and not being fully holy as God is yet. But we're called to progressive growth. Progressive, one day at a time. Let me take you back to that dining room conversation. Allie and I sat there, and it was because we had um, agreed to intentionally fast and pray for a few days to try to discern what we were supposed to do. 
And so she prayed, I prayed on her own, and then a few days later we came together and we were seated at the dining room table to talk and to share. And thank God that he answered. We had consensus. We could move ahead with clarity and confidence and unity and continued dependence upon the one who held us in the palm of his hand. And 2012 brought some of the most difficult things I think we'll ever face in our life. Wouldn't wish that on anybody. But if I were to plot our collective life on that graph that we just had up on the screen, spiritually, together as a couple, praise God, he helped us to have growth. And in some ways, more than any other experience that I've had in my life until maybe I became a pastor. He did something really amazing because we begged him for wisdom. We ordered our lives according to his plan for that season. A lot of stuff can go by the wayside when you're walking through turmoil like that. We got to work by his spirit. We got to work, we prayed and we asked, and we always sought to balance this heaviness and hopefulness. It's the same for us today. Mature faith seeks God's wisdom, friends. It does, it seeks it. You can't navigate life apart from God's wisdom. It's going to end real bad. You need it. You will not live a fulfilling, flourishing life of faith apart from it. So exclusively devote yourself to him. Don't be double-minded. Believe God is who he says he is. Tell yourself that every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. We receive wisdom upon request. That's active, vibrant prayer life. We request wisdom and faith, and that is the right belief of God and his ways. And then we put it to work in our daily obedience. Let's look to him in prayer. God, thank you for the book of James. Thank you for what it means for us today. The message that was intended for the believers in this early church are so true for us. And God, as we sang before, our, our hearts desire is to be blown away by how big you are and that you are God, we are not. We need a picture of you, God, as this vast, all-powerful, full of wisdom God that you are, who is also so personal. And you move toward us. You demonstrated that through Jesus, that you move toward us and you give us your spirit. And so, Father, help us to trust you as children to come to you needy and dependent and aware that we're not, the, we're not the top dog. You are. And also help us to imitate you. Our, our kids oftentimes imitate us, for better or for worse. They imitate things that they see us do. But we know you're all good. And so may we imitate your ways. May we look more like Jesus, as we see that through the pages of Scripture. And so help us now as we process this, as we continue to worship you and, and we order our lives for the week ahead and whatever you have for us. We lift this up with thanksgiving in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.